and for sure Rich is going to talk about this a lot next week. He might even say there's four, because some people include the sacrum as a curve. But there's three main curves of the spine. Uh, your lumbar curve, your lower back. So my chest was here, and my back was here. The lumbar curve curves in, you could say. And the thoracic spine, or the middle back, curves the opposite way, so it curves kind of back out. And then your cervical spine, or your neck, curves back in. Does that make sense to everyone? Mm-hmm. When we say, you know, I, I think we touched upon this a little bit, when we say, especially the people who are tighter or first beginning to do yoga postures, you want to fold forward with a flat back, your spine's not actually going to be flat, it's still going to have those curves, and you actually want those curves in there, they're there for a reason. But what we want to do in forward folds, since we're moving this way, and, and kind of going the direction of the thoracic curve, we just want to be careful how much we increase the thoracic curve. It's going to increase. It's going to curve more. But we want to be careful that we're not only emphasizing that curve. Does that make sense? We want to, I guess, monitor how much that curve increases as the other curves, the lumbar and cervical, decrease. In forward folding postures, so remember, my lumbar spine is curving in this way, my thoracic or middle back is curving out the opposite way, and my cervical curve, cervical spine, is curving back in. Sounds like an S. Kind of an S, yeah. Everyone got that so far? When I do a forward folding posture, what's going to happen is it's going to lessen decrease the lumbar curve, because it's curved in this way, right? Mm-hmm. When I fold forward, it's going gonna, it's gonna to decrease that curve, mm-hmm. as well as it's going to decrease the cervical curve, and it's going to increase the thoracic curve. So this curve is going to get curvier. These curves are going to get less curvy, straighter. So what I want to do is be careful, or at least monitor, the relationship of those curves. So meaning I don't want to just increase my thoracic curve. I want to, as I slight, somewhat do increase that thoracic curve, I also want to make sure I'm lessening the lumbar and cervical curve. Kind of in an equal way. It's going to make more sense in the back bending section. So I just want to talk about that before we begin talking about that. So I want all the curves, assuming we have a healthy spine, I want all the curves to be affected when I fold forward, in an equal ratio, let's say. So then in backbending postures, let's first talk about what we we get out of backbending postures. What happens when we do a backbending posture? What makes a backbend a backbend? Yep, but we'll let's start where we started with the forward fold. So, hip extension? Yeah, so we're flexing at the hip joint mostly in forward folds. Now we're going in the opposite direction. So we're extending, most people say extending the hip more. So we're now we're, instead of decreasing this angle, now we're increasing this angle. That's obviously going to strengthen the back 
And a lot, most back bends actually, not only your, the back of your torso, but the back of your hips and legs too. It's going to strengthen the back side of the body. It's going to stretch opposite in the front side of the body. We've spoken a little bit about forward folding and compression of the abdominal organs, right? These organs here gives a little bit of squeezing too. What organs do you think will get affected when we do backbending postures? Kidneys, liver, Somewhat. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking kidneys and adrenal glands, mostly. They're going to get uh, a little squeeze also when we do backbending postures. And then to go a little bit deeper, how about our nervous system? If, how do forward folds affect the nervous system? Calming? Yeah, you're right to the show. But generally speaking, calming. How about backpacking? Yeah, a little more stimulating. To the nervous system, yes. So then let's go back to the spine then. Lumbar curve, thoracic curve, circle curve. When we do backbending postures, we want to be, just like we want to be really mindful of what, how much we're increasing the thoracic curve in four bowls. We want to be really mindful of how much we're increasing this lumbar curve. Mm -hmm. Obviously your cervical also, but it's a little easier, it's easier for us to know how much we're increasing this. Because it's, our, our neck is so close to our head and we always kind of feel, we, we always kind of know what's going on with the, with the neck. But we want to be extra careful of how much we increase the lumbar curve. I mean, we don't just want to, just like I don't want to do this in a forward fold, I don't want to just kind of crunch my lower back, which I'm sure a lot of us have thought before. I want to be careful how much, at least I like the way James puts it, you want, you want to monitor the amount you increase the lumbar curve. So I want to, as in forward folds, I want the curves of the spine to be all affected in an equal way. And this gets pretty hard because we all sit at computers or drive cars a lot of work. Our thoracic spine is going to allow people kind of stuck in this, this curve here. So what most people want to do when they approach backbends is focus on flattening or decreasing the thoracic curve while we very mindfully increase the lumbar curve. It's, it's going to increase in almost everyone when we do a backbending posture, no matter how simple or complex it is, this lumbar curve is going to get a little bit deeper. We just want to be careful that as it deepens, we're also lessening or decreasing the thoracic curve. So we do this as much as this. Well, that depends on the pole. Cervical is the same, same too. Um, but I, I, I think most people need to, it's going to definitely be more obvious to everyone, to most people. Because it's easy to, we want to be mindful of this too. But it just seems like it's easier, it's, it's harder for most people to be aware of what's going on down here. Mm -hmm. Because it's just, it's lower and it's a lot more musculature around here and it moves a lot. Less, I should say. Because if we do this, uh, since you're we're really sensitive of what happens with our head, mm -hmm. more so than what's, what's happening down here. Mm -hmm. So I, you're, you're right. We want to be careful how much we increase this as well. 
but most people need to drop a little more awareness down in the gear. You know, I think we're, we're pretty careful when we, we, neither of us use the term tuck your tip. I think we both have in the past, I'm sure we both have in the past. But you want, you want to be careful if you use that term because you'll find that, um, and a lot of people do it, so if we're working towards Lutkatasana and you say tuck your tailbones, many people will begin to do that. They'll overdo it. So tucking your tailbone isn't always the best cue. Um, I, I really like deepening your tailbone or point, point your tailbone toward the floor. But that does, ultimately, if you do it right, that does help your relationship. It does help, yeah. Okay. That kind of action, it will help. Okay. As long as they don't overdo it, because it is a back bend, so we do want this lumbar curve in there. We don't want them to do, okay. to do this. <laughs> that's, not, that's not good either. That's as bad as that's that. <laughs> so yeah, we want to monitor and be really mindful of how we're affecting those curves, and we want to affect them all equally, including your including your cervical. And they should all be affected, not one a lot and the other one a little bit. I feel like you know, it's very difficult to like you know be conscious about classic spine, like during the back bend. Like you know, I I just only feel like lumbar spine like getting. Bending. Sure, that that's the one that will always kind of the it'll be the path of least resistance for most people, just deepening the lumbar curve. So a couple um, a couple of important tricks. Are important points to make are uh, obviously do we want to do simple back bends first, and also a great way to um, get people started with good habits before moving to deeper back bends are with the breath and with the arm movement because, and you'll notice when almost always. Almost always. Whenever we're bringing the arms up, we're inhaling. Whenever we're bringing the arms down, we're exhaling. Because when the arms come up, your rib cage is going to lift. Pretty much for sure. It's, it's going to lift. So when this happens and your rib cage expands, it's going to make it easier for us to take a deep inhale because we have a little more space. Inhale. We can all grant that, right? It'll make it a little bit easier to inhale. Plus, your thoracic spine. So your rib cage is connected to your thoracic spine. By definition, your thoracic spine is the part of the spine that has ribs connected to it. So when we do this and we inhale, the rib cage is going to expand and lift. That itself is going to bring more mobility to your thoracic spine. It's going to. So let's say this is my this is my spine. These are my ribs. When they expand and lift, this is going to have more mobility. It's going to move more freely because. Your thoracic spine has a bunch of joints. When we have space in them, it'll be able to be more pliable. We're going to focus on moving into at least uh, the simpler back bends on an inhale. The, deep, the really deep back bends, then at some point you do move into on an exhale, but for the majority of them, this is going to help. This and this inhale is going to help us to move into a back bend and get more mobility here so we can get a little more mobility in the thoracic spine. Also, uh, keeping the abdomen firm is going to help us to not over arch the lumbar spine. It's another trick to keep a little more stability in here. Firming the abdominal wall at least a bit to bring more integrity in this area here.
Today we're just going to go over a few uh, standing backbends, chair pulls. Yeah. What uh, what do we usually call chair pulls in Sanskrit? Yeah, that that'll be uh, maybe the most basic kind of standing backbend, something like this. We're definitely definitely flattening this thoracic spine at least a little bit. This one isn't increased too much. This one maybe a little bit if you're looking up, but for sure we're, we're beginning to flatten the thoracic spine. So a first is a pretty good choice for a first backbend you're going to do. Pretty good choice. Crescent move. Crescent lunge. Crescent lunge maybe? Crescent lunge. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they call this a crescent lunge. But what's it really similar to? Virabhadrasana one. Yeah, Virabhadrasana one. I think of Virabhadrasana one kind of like an asymmetrical Utkatasana. It's kind of the same pose, but one side only. And a little more complex. So you probably notice in Surya Namaskar B, we do this one first, and this one. It's kind of common for to do a symmetrical pose first before it's asymmetrical kind of counterpart. We can also go into Natsurajasana, but we probably won't have time today. I don't know Natsurajasana the king dancer. We <laughs> weren't sitting for so long. Let's do a little bit of a preparation movement. Uh, let's begin in child's pose. Breath. 
Alright, this next time you stretch back, the down dog will stay there. Take a few deep breaths here. Step the right foot forward into a runner's lunge. Couple breaths. Then we'll stretch back to down dog and switch sides. So it feels like you're grounding through the four corners of both feet equally. And then keep pressing down through the four corners of both feet. Bring your hands to your hips. And with a flat back, we'll inhale all the way up the same. Take a few breaths here. Every time you exhale, firm the lower belly back to the spine. Notice how that helps to deepen the tailbone a bit. Almost like you're absorbing your tailbone by firming the lower belly. Keep pressing down through both feet. The legs are active. Every time you make me out, feel the inside of the ribcage expand and lift. Alright, then let's, uh, let's do a variation of the Pitasana. So bring your, let's bring the feet all the way together in this one. And actually you're going to bend the knees and squeeze your knees together. So activate the inner thighs. Keep pressing down through both feet. Then let's exhale until we touch the floor. And inhale, reach the arms up and lift the inside of the ribcage like earlier. And then repeat. Exhale, touch the floor. Keep the knees bent. Inhale, reach the arms up. Exhale, touch the floor. And then inhale, reach up. Let's almost stay here at the top. Feel free to just keep the hand shoulder width for today. Like you're holding a really heavy brick. Isometrically, isometrically hugging the arm bones closer together. You can look forward, if it feels okay, you can release the back and look up. Take five more breaths. Whenever you exhale, draw the lower belly back. Keep the tailbone and lessen the lumbar curve, or moderate it anyway. And until you inhale, still lift the inside of the ribcage. That's good. Once you inhale, squeeze the legs all the way straight, and just exhale the arms. <laughs> okay, so what do we need to look out for in this pose in particular? I already gave one example. Just got a quick pose. This one, right? <laughs> That's not good. It, is a bad, it should strengthen your back, and this is not strengthening your back. Relax your shoulders. Relax your shoulders, too. Some people will say you should bring a little bit further, but I think, in general, you don't want your knees to go 
he was behind the toes so much. Um, and that brings up a good point. Uh, with the knees, I hate to bring your legs all the way together. Some people do it with the feet apart. My big thing is I, I want consistency with your ankles and knees. So if your feet are apart, make sure your knees aren't touching. That's not good for your knees and you're really unstable here. Just like if your feet are together, your knees shouldn't be apart up here. <laughs> so if your feet are together, have your knees together, if your feet are apart, have that same distance between your knees and between the ankles. So that's a, for sure a good thing to look out for first. Equally um, weight on people. Yeah, in most cases. There's some variation where you're on the toes, which is kind of cool, mm-hmm. hard variation. But yeah, in, in most occasions you want the entire foot to be grounded as opposed to rocking in or out. Well, that would seem to shift your towards your heels. That, that might be because people have a tendency to rock forward okay. too much. And usually that will make it more even on the entire foot. What about the spine, though? That's mm-hmm. that, that critical legs. So you overextend the, the lumbar? Yeah, you just don't want the big booty sticking way back. Yeah. And just yeah. increasing that curve. <laughs> So one big thing is that it's, I think it's really helpful, as I mentioned already, really firming an exhale, engaging this, because you, if you do engage this, it's going to be a lot harder to overarch your lumbar spine. If you keep this firm, it's going to be a lot harder to just increase that without um, affecting the whole spine. What else? Rolling the color one will help with its thoracic extension. Oh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do your arms sit down in your socket? Like more so than? Yeah, that, that will be, uh, that'll be the most specific for, for different people. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is, is, is this one, where, where your hips are on space. The table facing down. Table facing down? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Okay, so let's go to a partner and, and talk your partner through Utkatasana like they've never done it before. <laughs> like you're talking to your friend who has the free private already. <laughs> through Utkatasana. And the, the partner that's being uh, taught yeah, be a bad partner. One, and oppose. There's a couple different ways to go about it, but a pretty good way is to start uh, looking at what's on the floor. Did we say that already? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, feet. So funny. First hand it'll be your feet. So uh, look at people's feet first because if if they don't, if their foundation isn't strong or correct or solid, then the rest of the, the rest is going to be off too. So it's a good idea to start looking at whatever is on the floor, whatever they're stabilizing or grounding. The general general rule. Though. So um, then we'll just go over Beard Adasana 1 also. And this is, as far as the standing poses, this might be the most complex standing pose. Because one of the most, it probably is the most complex standing pose. There are just so many different things going on with the hips, with the spine. And it's um, really, really common to see people with just really off alignment there. So, um, it's worth taking a look at. Now, let's actually do it first. How about that? Come to the front of your mat. 
And even though, even if you do have your feet together, which, like I said, not everyone has their feet together, and not all people want you to have your feet together here, but even if you do have your feet together, notice how your heels are side by side and not lined up, right? There's at least a little width, distance widthwise between the center of your heels. So, when we do Warrior One, at least have, in our opinion, I'm pretty sure I can speak for James, at least have that same width between your heels. There's some um, schools thought that have much of your front heel and your back arch aligned. Mm -hmm. um, if you have really mobile hips, you might be able to do that. But for the vast majority of American adult yogis, that's not going to happen. When, you, when they do that, they're going to do this, yeah. and then the warrior one's going to look like this. It's going to be like warrior one and a half. <laughs> so, this back foot to the right a little bit, maybe a lot, is going to make it easier for us to square off the body this way. Now, to err on the other side, some schools thought your hips should be perfectly square to the direction you're looking. For 95% of the yogis in America, that's, not, that's never going to happen. Unless you lift your back heel off the floor, mm -hmm. which is uh, a different variation of pose, which you call a crescent lunge. But uh, one thing that one reason why I prefer Warrior One is because there's more of your foot on the floor. You're, you're much more grounded. And so there's more people pose, and you're going to breathe better in this pose. So then what we mostly do is not have the hips perfectly square. Kind of like in Parvo Tanasana we spoke about that, what, a couple weeks ago. Because it's, it's more your torso and somewhat your torso, there's going to be a little asymmetry. Same thing in Warrior Vajrasana One. Let's all say Vira Vajrasana. Let's all step the left foot back. Now, step it back as far as you can while you're still turning your torso towards your front leg. Uh, a cue I like to use, I'm sure most of you know, is your sternum and navel line up with your inner right knee. So it's almost like doing a little bit of a twist. And your hips are a little asymmetrical like this or not perfectly square. Left is going to be a little sort of back in the way. Really good idea for that back foot to be turned out about 45 degrees. So turning your left foot all the way out would be 90 degrees. And if you turn your left foot forward all the way, that would be no degrees. Halfway between that. Even if you can turn your toes forward more, I suggest having your foot at about this 45 degree angle. Now you really ground through that back heel as you still line up your sternum with the inner right knee. Now, have your brain in the back heel. You're going to inhale, bend the front knee, engage your right hamstring to pull your tailbone forward as you reach the arms up. And let's exhale, bring the arms on, squeeze the front leg straight. So now you're engaging the right quadriceps. Repeat that. Inhale, bend the front knee, engage this right hamstring so your tailbone moves forward to the front heel, arms up. And then exhale, arms back down, and squeeze the right leg straight. Just do that three more times. Inhaling like you're an attacking warrior, and exiting as if you're a retreating warrior. Whole time, really heavy back heel. And one more. And warrior one, or rear adjustment one. Let's save this time just for five minutes. Keep lining up your sternum and navel with the inner right knee. Keep pressing down through your back heel. Keep breathing. Remember, when you exhale, firm the abdomen to help monitor the lumbar curve. Whenever you inhale, you'll feel the inside of the ribcage expanding and lifting. 
thought it's a lesson that the rest of her. Uh, and let's exhale the arms down, set the left foot forward to the front of the mat. Take a breath. Here, most different sides. Uh, Jeannie has a question about the hamstring. Actually, where we get that hamstring? <laughs> it's kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty subtle thing, but I, it's kind of a big thing of mine recently, actually, that, that I notice in myself and in a lot of people who practice yoga for many years. We stretch our hamstrings and our adductors also so much in yoga that a lot of people, I mentioned this earlier, a lot of people, I feel, lose the ability to engage them. They get really weak in the hamstrings, which is not good. That's one reason why there's so many hamstring injuries in yoga. If you have people practicing yoga for a long time, I bet you know if you even have some kind of injury around the sitting room. If the muscles get too weak, then they're easily injured. So. One thing to do, and if I don't engage this hamstring, if I bend my knee and let this be flaccid, my tailbone will have a tendency to point back, and I'm going to increase this lumbar curve. Now, if I go into really my thing, focus on engaging this again, I asymmetrically pull my left heel back, it's going to bring my hips and my tailbone with me. Make sense? Actually, it's going to bring the attacking site, your left sitting bone, forward, and the tailbone's going to follow. So it's one way to monitor the lumbar curve in this pose anyway. Okay, so let's try the second side and focus a little more on the left hamstring this time. So right those steps back. Just back as far as you can while you're still lining up the sternum and navel with the inner left knee. A little bit between the feet, not a bad idea. Then think really heavy back heel. And as you inhale, bend the front knee, engage this hamstring like you're pulling your left heel toward you, which will move the tailbone forward, and the arms come up. And then we'll exhale, arms down, squeeze the left leg straight, and do that three more times. Uh, I want to do more than one. I've been having a lot of trouble since I had a fracture in the cap a few years ago. Um, it feels. Does this look right? Yes. Okay. You know, this looks obvious. And this one would stay where you want. The arms up. Keep pressing down through your back heel. Keep lining up your sternum and navel with the inner left knee. And your exhale, engage the abdomen. Your inhale, lift the ribcage. Uh, and let's exhale the arms down, slip your right foot forward. Just take a few breaths here. Sound of feeding. So 
the first logical choice is to maybe change the width of their feet and or the way they're turning their toes. So maybe they need to turn the toes forward a little bit more or out a little bit more to affect the knee. And we've already said, and we're going to keep on saying it throughout the whole training, that these are really general cues and ideas that we're giving. You're going to need to be really creative just like you are in your own practice or like we both in our classes. No one's warrior one is going to look the same as Yoshi's or Eugene's. Everyone's going to have a little bit different, especially in the more complex poses like this one. So I, I, I might get creative and have Eugene turn his toes way out even though I told Yoshi to turn his toes forward more or move his feet further apart or closer toward each other lengthwise. You're going to need to make little adjustments because in our opinion there's no picture of a perfect warrior one. Everyone's body is different. Everyone's body so then, quickly, what are some things we need to look out for in where you want? Obvious things. The feet are I already mentioned, right? The feet first. Toes should be straight, not forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knee over toe. Knee over toe. Like, like knee over toe. Right. More kind of over your ankle, or I think James says heel, I said I need to say ankle more, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Look at their front knee for sure. If it's, it shouldn't be on either side, or if it's too far back, it won't into them, but they're not going to get a lot out of it. Too far forward would not be good idea. The same thing as in the other back bend, the lumbar spine. Yeah, same thing. Look at, and this, but this one, it will be, since it is more complex pose, it's more, they're more likely to increase their lumbar curve more here. Major good abs. Major abdomen. Major abdomen. I'm going to straighten your back. Straighten your front leg a little bit. If that would work for you, that must be a good job. Straighten your back. What? Oh, I just said um, to come out of the bend from the front knee and then do like a little bit more of a posterior tilt and then go back into it. That's a, that's a really good idea. A lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes you just need to have the person come out of the pose. If you're, if you're saying a few cues and it's just not working, then you need to, at some point, no one just knows how they have them come out of the pose and come in more slowly with a posterior tilt before they move into it. Make sense? If, if the cues you're giving are not working while they're in the pose, at some point you're going to need to take them out of the pose and then put them back in slowly and have, have those cues you want them to have Given those feet before they go into the pose or while they're moving into it. Well, like, um, imagine scissoring the thighs together. I do. 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 I we have one time for one counter pose. One more pose tonight. Which one should we do? Utasana. is a very good choice. Um, and Humble Warrior also. Humble Warrior? Yeah. I don't know. Where is it? Show it's it. It's from the nature, I think. It's the, you just go down. But then we have, we have to do, that would be good if we just did one side. Yeah, of, let's say yeah. one, one pose to do. Yeah, just for a <laughs> 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 <laughs>
symmetrical standing forward holding idea. Or down back, but some, some symmetrical, not too intense forward hold. Uh, so let's, yeah, let's do no more about you being your deepest Utanasana ever. Remember this, you're using it for a little bit of a counter pose. But this was a counter pose for the, the, the spine. Yeah, well, for the whole body. Okay, because we, we, did, we did three back bending passes where we're engaging the muscles in the back pretty strongly. Right, right. Now we're on the back What about like the, the extension that you know, people feel on the back of uh, your legs and calves? And yeah, we're stretching the whole, the whole back. Because in, in Warrior we're actually right. engaging uh, the whole back. Yeah. 